You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. Take a moment to remember a time in your life when you were made to feel unwelcome. Maybe it goes all the way back to childhood, on the playground or in the classroom. Somebody said something, made you feel a little less of a person. Maybe it was on the first day of a new job. New colleagues were perhaps a bit standoffish and not as welcoming as you would have hoped. Maybe it was in church. Chances are, though, all of us have had some sort of experience like that. And that means we all understand the danger of partiality, playing favorites. The problem isn't new, is it? James, the brother of our Lord Jesus, dealt with the same problem 2,000 years ago in whatever church he was writing to in this letter. He understood the danger, and he understood the necessity of dealing with it. And so he casts a vision of a church marked by extraordinary hospitality, where the have-nots matter just as much as the haves, where people aren't valued for what they can contribute, for what they can do, for what they know, for their family tree their status in the community. They're just valued because they're made in the image of God. And James sees this as a matter of the faith, doesn't he? For James, the way we regard one another gets to the heart of our faith. And at the heart of this passage is the central reality that real faith doesn't play favorites. The faith of Jesus, the faithfulness embodied in Jesus' life, the religion that he taught and created in his ministry, the values that he revealed, and the redemption that he offers, that faith, real faith, is not one where anybody gets to play favorites. Take a look at chapter 2, verse 1. James writes, my brothers and sisters, 
Do you believe with your acts of favoritism? Right? Not a new problem, is it? <laughs> Do you believe with your acts of favoritism? Do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? Maybe you've had moments where you wanted somebody did something and you were thinking, you know, do you even know Jesus? <laughs> James is having one of those kinds of moments. You act this way, you behave in this fashion, you show favoritism, you, you, and, and the situation that he describes isn't hard to imagine. We've probably seen this kind of thing before. Somebody who's well-dressed and presents themselves a certain way tends to be more favored in society than someone who isn't. It's interesting, I was working on this sermon on an airplane yesterday. Uh, Patrick and I spent two nights in New York City. And uh, so he was playing video games on the way back, and I was working on uh, this sermon. <laughs> and I was thinking about, you know, here we are, we're, we're just coming back from New York, and one of the things I was hoping that he observed, and one of the things that I want to have some conversation about with him in the next couple of days is how many different kinds of people there are. It's stunning. You've got people <laughs> that drive cars that cost more than I'll make in my entire life. <laughs> and you've got people who live on the streets and have absolutely nothing except what they carry around in a pillowcase. And I hope he was paying attention. And we'll have some conversation about that. And it was striking to just kind of walk those streets for a couple of days with my son, my 10-year-old son. And then get on an airplane <laughs> and read this passage afresh. Thinking about what I just experienced. So it's not hard for us to imagine this kind of situation, right? Society is filled with the haves and the have-nots. And it's not hard to imagine a situation. We've all had some sort of experience where those who have get a little bit better treatment than those who don't. And James says, look, that's the way the world works. And if our society has that characteristic, the ancient, the ancient world had it more so. In the ancient world, your status was everything. And in our, in, in our world, you can kind of work your way up. You can kind of pull yourself up, and maybe you have humble beginnings, but you work your way into wealth. In the ancient world, that was not an option. If you were born poor, you died poor. Nobody worked their way up ever. You couldn't move across social boundaries. And James says the church of Jesus Christ is going to be a different kind of place. The values in the Roman society, where you have these very specific social levels, and there's no movement in between. When we build churches, and we say Jesus is Lord, and God raised Him from the dead, the values will be different. It's not a place where your education, or your background, or your family name, or your social status, or however many monuments you built to the honor of the emperor, like that doesn't get you favors here. For James, people are valued, not for what they can offer, just because they are. 
and because they're made in the image of God and because the Lord Jesus Christ gave his life for them. That's what's really going on here, isn't it? This is why this is a matter of the faith for James. Because it's really about the gospel. It's about the reality that the gifts Jesus offers don't come based on what we can do for him. They're simply matters of his mercy. Now we need to dig in a little more deeply to that. Before we do, we get a chance to see what faith is really like for James. And this is important because faith is kind of a buzzword in our society, isn't it? You know, pop songs, got to have faith. Your politicians and political campaigns, talking about we just, we've got to believe in a better society, or we've got to have faith that we can do this, or, you know, it's just kind of a, it's kind of a buzzword, isn't it? Faith. We don't always talk about the object of that faith when we're doing kind of buzzword society level things. Just having it is enough. But for James, faith isn't just sort of this random belief in something. And it's not just an intellectual exercise. You know, pull out the creed, Trinity, I believe in that, check. Jesus is raised from the dead, I believe in that, check the box. Uh, one holy, universal, apostolic church, check. Holy Spirit, check. You know, just pull out that list of doctrines and just go down. Salvation by grace through faith, check. I believe in that. It's not an intellectual exercise for James. Faith in Jesus, Christian faith, is a transformative experience that comes from trusting Jesus to do for me what I cannot do for myself. And if it's real, if the experience is real, it always means something changes in me. Something always has to change. There's always a transformation. I don't encounter Jesus and stay the way I am, no matter what. I don't meet the Lord and just kind of, hey, nice to meet you, that's great, I'm going to get on with my life. <laughs> if I meet Jesus, it changes things, it changes me. His unconditional welcome of me transforms the way I live and the way I engage my family, with my church family, and with society. For James, real faith, real faith, it's not just a theology test, it's a real engagement with Jesus. And it means transformation. James wants us to put this faith to work, doesn't he? He doesn't take those two ideas and separate them into different boxes. He says real faith is going to get engaged. It's going to be active. You don't earn Jesus' love, but his love transforms you, changes you. And one of the ways it changes you is this transition from, well, hey, you, know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. <laughs> I'll help you out if you help me out. Well, what about the people who can't help anybody out? <laughs> James says, who's going to help them out? Real faith for James. Real faith 
doesn't play favorites. Because the reality is, all of us, all of us, all of us, stand in desperate need of the unconditional mercy and extraordinary hospitality that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ, God incarnate. You know the old saying, the ground is level at the foot of the cross? That's what we're getting at when we say that. Thanks be to God, Jesus doesn't play favorites. Thanks be to God, Jesus' love doesn't, for me doesn't depend on what I can do for him. Because the reality is, he doesn't really need me. <laughs> or any of us. That's kind of a tough truth to face, isn't it? Because we like to be needed. The reality is, Jesus doesn't need Matt O'Reilly. Jesus doesn't need any of us. But once we can get past that hard reality, we're in a place where we can receive the good news that He loves us. Not for what He can get out of us. Not for what we offer Him. Just because He loves us. And His love in that way is unconditional doesn't play favorites. And when we embody faith in that Lord, it means that the way we practice the Christian faith isn't marked by favoritism. Now if you read the Bible, you discover that God has always had a special heart, a special place in his heart for the poor. I mean, think about the people of Israel, the Hebrew people in Egypt. Slaves for 400 or more years. They have nothing to offer God. They can't do anything for Him. They don't offer Him prestige. He simply rescues them because He loves them. They haven't spent 400 years in Egypt honoring Him. They haven't earned His favor. And he doesn't require them to do anything before he rescues them. <laughs> he just has a special place in his heart for them. Poor slaves in a land not their own. And he rescues them with these spectacular displays of his power. He brings them out of oppression. He brings them to himself. And he says, I've rescued you on eagles' wings. You're going to be my special treasure. Not because of what you've done for me. Just because I love you. How grateful we should be for a God who relates to us like that. All the other gods and all the other ancient religions... None of them relate to their devotees that way. Study the Roman gods, study the Greek gods, study the Egyptian gods. They all want something. You want crops? Offer sacrifices. You want victory in war? Offer the right sacrifices. Things aren't going well for your economy? Somebody must not be exhibiting piety towards the local God. Like in the ancient world, 
the gods played favorites. You do things for them, they do things for you. And James wants his readers in the first century and us in the 21st century to understand that the God revealed in Jesus doesn't treat people that way. His grace is never up for negotiation. His favor is never a matter of negotiation. It's always just sheer gift. Perfect unconditional gift. That's what we mean when we talk about grace. So if you're one of those people who at some point in life has been made to feel unwelcome, less of a person, somebody looked down their nose when you came by, God is not like that. Jesus, who is the perfect image of the invisible God, never looks at you like that. He's the one whose arms are spread to welcome all who would come. to rescue them, to effect the rescue. Those arms spread wide were pierced with nails. The cross is God's perfect, extravagant hospitality to us. If we can see ourselves as people who need unconditional mercy, we will be in a better position to see the people that everyone else overlooks. If we can be reminded regularly, daily, <laughs> multiple times a day, we will be in a position to embody that impartial hospitality, that generous welcome that Jesus offers all of us. And that's the kind of people we want to be. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to be a person of faith. I'm so grateful pastor a congregation that is engaged in ministering with people at all levels of society. We talked about rescheduling this 
Louisiana trip because you're committed to taking care of the poor. Many of you spent time you could have been doing something else working at an orphanage in Guatemala this summer because something about Jesus compelled you to care for the poor. Many of you regularly serve at soup kitchens in the city because you understand that following Jesus means caring for the poor. The thing about following Jesus is <laughs> there's always a next step. You never arrive, do you? So we have an opportunity as we reflect on the words that we hear James speak to us today. What's the next step look like? And I, am I willing to have the Holy Spirit open my eyes to ways maybe that I've shown partiality and didn't even realize it? Or maybe I did realize it and need to repent. <laughs> And what would it look like to really cultivate a community of people where we look for the person who's standing by themselves and say, hey, why don't you sit with me? We find the person at the office who maybe is a little quieter and doesn't have as much engagement. Tell me about your week. Or we find a student at school. Everybody knows that like middle school and high school can be brutal on this. I love the idea of our students going into all their different places of education, being people marked by us extraordinary, Jesus-shaped hospitality. I guess is you want your kids to be like that too. <laughs> Looking forward to students from all over the community being in this room in one week and the chance we have to show this kind of extraordinary hospitality. as a way to commend the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ who offers his life to redeem all who will come without regard to where they're from or who they are or what they've got or what they've done. How much does our world, community, state, nation, globe. How much does the world need to see communities who follow Jesus and put their faith to work in that way? And what an opportunity we have to do things differently. To have a shared life 
witnesses to the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus. Real faith. It doesn't play favorites. It simply says, Jesus died for you. He was raised to give you life. And he welcomes you into his transforming, liberating grace. Maybe you need to experience that grace. Maybe for the first time. Maybe you've never known that Jesus offers that kind of unconditional, perfect welcome. And he's so serious about it that he gave his life. Maybe you need, or maybe you're experiencing that in a deeper way today. Maybe you've known the Lord's welcome and now he is calling you. You have the sense he's calling you to this deeper expression of his perfect love. That's really what we're talking about, isn't it? Jesus loves us perfectly. And he invites his people to embody that aspect of his character to each other and to the world. And friends, this is how we change the world. By not operating on the same principles and values, but by embodying the character of Jesus. This is how Jesus saves the world. Little pockets of believers in Hope Hall, in other parts of the city, in other parts of the state, in other parts of the country, and all around the world, embodying his perfect love more and more and more and more. Want to do that? Can't play favorites. What's the next step look like for us? Cultivating a community marked by this extraordinary, impartial hospitality that points people to the perfect love of Jesus. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.